there are some overheads, uh, or rather uh, handouts here, that I would like to have handed out. I hope there are enough for each uh, adult to have one. Uh, more and more, I have uh, come to admire and and realize the uh, the kind of uh, faith, uh, or shall I call it? risk that the uh, local leadership team here at Faith Christian has uh, to uh, invite me, this 83-year-old, little old Amish boy, to, uh, to share a message. Um, because it's unusual for an octogenarian to uh, to get befuddled, um, verhoodled once in a while in his thinking. And uh, so um, I ask you to pray for me, and, and, I, and I, I do cast myself upon the enabling grace of God to, uh, as I stand before you, to bring this message to you. The leadership team asked that I would speak to uh, qualifications, uh, spiritual qualifications of those who are called to uh, spiritual leadership. And I want to begin this morning by uh, giving a rather broad historical overview uh, of uh, church leadership as it has been practiced in Christendom today. And that's what the first page of the handout is uh, about. I, I do this in view of us entering into the process of calling and ordaining um, a brother from this congregation to assist in the spiritual leadership of uh, faith Christian. I, I give this view, brief view in order to give some understanding and perspective for why we do things the way we do here at Faith Christian. There are basically three basic models of church leadership in Christendom today. Now, I'm aware of the fact that there are... Uh, many variants in each of these models that I'm going to mention. I'm going to be very broad here, but I hope it gives some perspective. And because of the restraints of time, I will reflect on what I consider the three basic models very briefly. And I hope the um, the handout will help with that. The first model that I would put forth is, the, uh, is, is what I call the high church model of spiritual leadership. This model of church leadership is practiced by the Catholic and Eastern Orthodox churches 
in Christendom today. And to a lesser degree, uh, they're also practiced by the Anglican and Episcopalian uh, churches and other churches that are highly liturgical in the way they do church. They have a, a highly prescribed pattern of worship for, their, for church, the way they do church. Uh, church leadership in, in, these, uh, uh, in, in this model is very monarchical um, and it, from top down kind of leadership. It operates much like the Roman Empire functioned as a secular government, if you think about it. This model of church leadership has a clerical hierarchy for a form of, of leadership. For the Catholic Church, the Pope is considered to be like the Roman Emperor is to be the head of the church, like the Roman Emperor is the head of uh, the uh, Roman Empire. This kind of church leadership began to develop uh, several hundred years after the apostles passed off the scene. It no doubt began when Constantine professed conversion to the Christian faith and began influencing the, the leaders of the church of his time. The second model that I'd put forth is what I call the Protestant evangelical model of uh, church leadership. In this model, there's a two-tier uh, level of leadership found. Tier one, in tier one, you have the single meaning one-man pastor leader. If the church is big enough, there may be other uh, associate pastors assisting this one-man senior pastor. The evangelical pastor functions like a CEO uh, hired to lead the church with it by his skills and charisma. Um, usually, uh, most often, he is uh, seminary trained. In tier two of this leadership model in the Protestant evangelical churches, you have a uh, church board of elders. They are to the church what the school board is to the school. Uh, this deacon board, which it also is uh, it's also called that, usually functions as the executive officers of the church. This board appointed by the church is a decision-making body that can hire or fire the pastor. The, uh, the closest uh, pastoral associate that I had in Silicon for many years while we were there was the Baptist pastor of pastors. And, and I was there when, uh, and, and felt the pain 
when some of that hiring and firing <laughs> took place. Um, this model of church leadership developed in the 15th or 16th century and uh, continues up to the present time. The, the third model of uh, spiritual leadership for in Christendom or in the church um, that I would like to put forth is what, I have, what I'm entitling or calling the biblical eldership model. There are a number of things that characterize this kind of model church, this kind of church leadership. This is, first of all, a plural and a shared leadership. It's not a one-man leadership. There is a plurality of leaders that work together as a, as a unit to oversee the spiritual care of the local church. In the New Testament, this plural leadership of the local church, these leaders were called elders or bishops. Um, in, in the New Testament, if you read uh, the New Testament in relation to this, that the elders and bishops are always, uh, 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 they're, 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 those words, those titles are used when addressing the leadership of the church. And, and bishop and elders were really talking about the same persons, the same church leaders. There was not much differentiation because, uh, between what, they, what was referred to as bishops and elders. You find that in Philippians 1, 1, Acts 20, 17, 28, Acts 15, 4, uh, and other places. Like I said, the terms, Vines says this, that the terms elders and bishops were were uh, used interchangeably to describe the same group of leaders. And that's what I was just attempting to emphasize. <clears throat> um, the uh, biblical eldership uh, model is comprised of two groups, or is, a, you might think of it as a two-tier model, again. You have the elders and bishops who exercised primarily a uh, preaching, teaching role in the church, who, oversee, who oversee, uh, oversaw the spiritual needs of the church. And then you have the deacons as the second tier, um, those who serve as servants, attendants, uh, rendering free service, first, uh, which is first introduced uh, in the... Um, uh, calling of the six deacons in Acts chapter 6, or the seven deacons, rather. And so, uh, um, I, I, this, uh, this model of spiritual leadership, uh, I consider to be the apostle, the apostolic model. And uh, you, you, find the, uh, you find this model in small church groups from the beginning of the church uh, uh, all the way down through history. 
Sometimes there were just small church groups that practiced this model, uh, like uh, the uh, Waldensians uh, in the uh, early centuries, the Donatists uh, as well, and then was uh, practiced by the Anabaptist Mennonite uh, uh, churches from the time of the uh, 16th century up to the present. Or I should say the conservative Mennonite groups um, from uh, to up to the, to the present time. Um, this uh, biblical eldership is a leadership team, as a leadership team, rises out of and is, are selected from the membership of the local church. These are not professionally trained, but are mature, spiritual, spiritually vibrant, and spiritually gifted men found in the local church. And this model servanthood is the key to leadership rather than autocratic rule. Uh, such leaders do not dictate so much as direct and lead by godly example and by the authority of the word of God. It's important that such leaders know the difference between being authoritarian and authoritative. They see themselves as being under authority, not so much as men having authority. They exercise delegated authority on the behalf of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. The, and like good shepherds, they are sensitive to the needs of the individual members of the church. They are willing to make great personal sacrifice of time and energy for the welfare of the flock. They stand guard, and as someone has said, lose sleep <laughs> so that the flock can rest in safety. So um, that, that is sort of the, um, the, the three models that I, I wanted us to see. And, and uh, may the Lord uh, just give us further understanding in relation to these things. Now, the, um, the second uh, page of the handout uh, has to do with qualifications for bishops and elders, as well as deacons. Here I have listed the, um, what is it, 20 some qualifications that are found in 1 Timothy 3 and also in the book of Titus. Uh, yes, 20 qualifications as I have listed them that are found in these scriptures. Now I also have listed the qualification of deacons, but uh, I'm mostly interested in the qualifications for bishops and elders. Uh, and, and so, uh, I, and uh, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend time with this here this morning. Uh, for one thing, uh, 
when I, from prior experience in, in teaching the pastoral epistles at SMBI, I, and also uh, doing pre-ordination services in, in some of our churches, I discovered that I, I usually needed about two hours <laughs> to cover this, uh, these qualifications. So, so I'm not going to take time to do that. You, you would walk out on me if I would do that, right? Um, uh, but but I, I wanted you to have this in hand as you uh, determine uh, sometime in the near future uh, who to uh, nominate as the, uh, the new pastor uh, to join this leadership team here at Faith Christian. And, and so I just have a very brief, usually a one-liner under these qualifications, just to stimulate your thinking as you uh, take these qualifications into account. So I'm going to leave it at that, and I, I trust that will be a help and a blessing to you. Now, the, the final uh, page of this uh, um, handout <coughs> is the, um, the outline of the, the message. <coughs> uh, <coughs> I, I want to share with you this morning. Um, and it is from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. I want to admit to you this morning uh, that I really don't know how I'm going to get through this. Uh, in the time that is allotted to me. But this is what I'm going to do. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to preach till about 12 o'clock, and I'm going to quit. And hopefully, the, if I don't cover it all, the, uh, the outline might help you uh, sort of know where, uh, where I intend to go in, uh, in, this, in this message. So... Uh, May the Lord bless you with, uh, with, as you consider these things. I want to speak to you about effective spiritual leadership this morning. And the text I'm going to speak from is 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read that passage at this time. <coughs> Excuse me. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> by the will of God. Would you stand with me? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my be dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers, with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayer night and day. Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and thy mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded 
in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that those that, that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of the sound mind. And this is the verse that I'm going to focus on primarily from this passage. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You may be seated. <clears throat> I want to make two observations about the text here, first of all. Second Timothy is Paul's final and last letter before his martyrdom at the hands of the Roman Empire in Rome. Um, these are Paul's final words that he writes as, an, as a letter to Timothy. I wonder what you would do, what you would write uh, to your loved ones if you knew you are bound to die whether by natural death or, or execution. Timothy, then, the second thing I want to point out is that Timothy was from the area of Galatia for Paul's first missionary journey. Paul handpicked him to be his traveling companion and associate um, during Paul's second missionary journey. And Timothy has, uh, was probably about 18 or 20 years old when uh, Paul picked him out of the crowd, the church, the, and, and, and wanted him to, to be his associate in his uh, ministry of the gospel. He is now, it is now probably about 20-some uh, years later, about... Uh, AD 68 here uh, and uh, he is probably now 40 some years old and uh, he has been under Paul's mentorship for 20 some years uh, what, a, what a life <laughs> that he was called to and uh, uh, well, yes. The, so the, I want to notice here in this passage that the call to spiritual leadership, first of all, is a call of grace. Verses 6 and 9. 6 says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee. Putting on the hands. A gift is not a not something you deserve. It is a gift, right? 
So uh, the cause of spiritual leadership is a call of grace. So Paul appeals to Timothy here to pick up the mantle of his calling to spiritual leadership. Um, and uh, consider God's call upon his life as a sacred trust. You have that in verse 6 and verse 14. It was not something, it was not something that Paul wanted him to treat lightly. And the call to spiritual leadership should never be treated lightly. It's a very serious matter to be called to be responsible uh, to minister to the Church of Jesus Christ. It's a responsibility and a privilege. This call to spiritual leadership is a call of grace, especially in old verse 9, who saved us and called us. Now, I know that in, often this verse is treated as, as, you, being, as you being saved and called is, is the same thing. But I, I would like to separate that this morning, who saved us and called us with a holy calling. I believe that's the calling of, of, of God upon your life. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. This call of spiritual leadership is a, is a sacred trust this call to spiritual leadership is a call of grace. Meaning it's not merited nor earned. Even though you, you need to have the qualifications mentioned and I noted for you in the second sheet here, yet even then, it is, uh, it is a call of God's grace and you don't merit it or earn it. That's an important perspective for every leader to have. Just as salvation is not merited, so uh, spiritual leadership, be called in the spiritual leadership, is not merited or earned. And I, I recognize, and I recognized this soon after I was ordained and called to uh, the ministry of the gospel back, 19, back in 1974, that, uh, that none of us can fulfill God's calling upon our life except by God's enabling grace. Regardless how qualified or skilled we are, we need this to keep this perspective, just lest we become arrogant and proud. Our call to spiritual leadership is a calling to a, not a calling to a position. Rather, it's a call to be a servant of God. Second, in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul said, and I believe he was speaking of all of this, 
his salvation, his uh, calling uh, to be the apostle to the Gentiles when he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. <laughs> That's such an important perspective for each of us to hold. Now, here in this passage, there are four characteristics of effective leadership uh, brought to us. Uh, whether it's a calling, uh, whether you consider it a calling to the spiritual leadership of the church or to the ministry of the gospel. And they, they probably, um, uh, it probably refers to both of them in relation to uh, this call. Um, and so four characteristics of effective spiritual leadership. Uh, and the first uh, characteristic you have, I believe, is in verse 7. It says, for God has not given us the spirit of fear. In this, uh, in this final letter to Timothy, Paul gives many clues to effective spiritual leadership, and, I'm, and I mean throughout the whole epistle. However, uh, I'm just going to look at these four that are given here in verse 7. He does not, first of all, he does not lead or minister out of fear or timidity. The, the, word, the word fear here, uh, translated by the uh, King James, um, is only used once in the New Testament. It's unique from all of the other times it uses the word fear. And, and, and it basically means being timid, timidity. God has not given us the spirit of timidity. Uh, I mean, as you read about, about Timothy, uh, and Paul's talking, writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy and, and, and 2 Timothy, you, you sense that Paul has a bit of a timid personality. I can identify with that. <laughs> you see, I have seven sisters. <laughs> um, no, realistically, I, I, yes, I can identify this with this matter of, of having the spirit of timidity. Um, by nature, I'm a very timid person. Uh, evidently, Timothy had a timid personality. He had to deal with this matter of timidity. You see, and, and timidity can evoke a lot of fears, as the word is often referred to, as we often referred to fear. Timidity can evoke a lot of fears that can be a hindrance to effective spiritual leadership. Let me highlight, I've highlighted for you in, in the, over, in the uh, uh, handout, uh, four fears. And I just, I'm, I'm trying to go through this as quickly and efficiently as I can. And the first one is 
the fear of man. I was 18 when I gave my first topic at the Beachy Fellowship meetings back in the, uh, in, in the uh, 50s and early, yes, back in the 50s. And I want to tell you that I was shaken in my Sunday shoes when I did that. Why? Well, I felt the fear of man. Um, in Jeremiah 1.8, the, the Lord said to Jeremiah, be not afraid of their faces. <laughs> I, I trembled uh, when I looked into the faces of the audience that day when I, when I gave my topic uh, to in, in that BG Fellowship meeting. The fear of man is an hindrance to effective spiritual leadership. Proverbs 29, 25 tells us that the fear of man bringeth a snare. The fear of man can very subtly cause one to be a man-placer. In Ephesians 6.5 and Galatians 3.22 speaks of being men-placers rather than placers of God. That's a trap. Men-placers do not make good servants of God in the church. So the, the fear of men uh, can come out of a, a spirit of timidity, as I experienced it, and I believe others have as well. The second uh, fear is the fear of failure. I, I do not have a Bible verse that refers to the fear of failure here, but I have had to battle against the fear of failure in my ministry. In fact, even this morning, I cried out to the Lord, lest I fail in my preaching to you. <laughs> you preachers understand this, don't you? <laughs> no. When God called Moses in Exodus 3 to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, Moses seemed to be paralyzed with a fear of failure, because he tried once on his own strength and by his own wisdom when he killed that Egyptian and then interceded in the argument that was taking place between two Israelites. It seems to me that Moses was paralyzed when God said, I want you to take these two million people and lead them from Egypt to the promised land. Can you imagine? You're a failure. In Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8, when Moses appointed Joshua to take his place as the leader of the children of Israel when he was on the, uh, the point of, and when they were on the point of entering the land of Canaan, he said, be strong and of good courage, for you must go with his people to the land which the Lord has sworn to, your fa to their fathers. And the Lord, he will be with you he will not fail you. Did you hear that? <laughs> he will not cause you to be a failure. He will not fail you. Neither forsake you. So 
don't be dismayed. <laughs> yeah, that was very real. Proverbs 29:25 tells us that the fear of man bringeth a snare. The, the fear of man uh, is, uh, you know, is, and the fear of failure can, uh, is very real. Um, it, can, it can paralyze uh, us as we attempt to fulfill God's calling upon our lives. The, uh, the, the third fear that I want to address here is um, the fear of the adversary. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. This admonition applies to all of us here and here this morning, but in its context, it especially applies to uh, Dave and Nate and Ivan. Because it is really in the context, it's speaking to the the, the shepherds of the flock. To the elders and bishops. Dave, Ivan, and Nate, I don't know if you have ever heard the roaring of the lion <laughs> as he speaks of it here. I'm talking about the devil. <laughs> I was rather naive of the fear of Satan when that, that the kind of fear that Satan can strike in you in one's heart until the first winter we were in Sulacout when I was asked to help pray for someone afflicted of demonic spirits. I want to tell you the devil is real, is <laughs> very real. It's easy to be paralyzed with fear when he roars or manifests himself, whatever way. We're never told to fear the devil, but we're told to resist him. And I discovered that we can resist him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's powerful. First Peter 5, 9 says, whom resist steadfast in the faith. That's what we need to do. <coughs> the, uh, the fourth um, fear that I want to address here is the, uh, it's what I have called the fear of adversity. First, the fear of the adversary, Satan, the devil, but here, the fear of adversity, and there's a difference. Of course, Satan is the, is the, the master of uh, ad adversity that is directed to us, but I'm talking about the fear of adversity. This fear may manifest itself as a fear of persecution. Um, this is referred to in verse 8 of our text, if you look at it. Verse 8 says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance, uh, no, verse 8, Be not there, thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, 
nor me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. I believe he is talking about, about being put to prison uh, and uh, being persecuted for the sake of the gospel, for ministering the gospel and being a shepherd of the flock. This uh, fear of persecution is a fear that most of us don't know anything about because we have, in essence, not experienced persecution. I'm not sure if that's good for us. As difficult as it would be. But I'm referring to the fear of adversity that causes one to seek peace and appeasement at all costs. Note, note what Paul says to Timothy in, in chapter 2, verse 24 and 25 of this epistle. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. Meaning having endurance. In meekness, and listen to this, instructing those that oppose themselves. Now he didn't say that oppose you as a spiritual leadership. But he says, oppose themselves. That's an interesting way of putting it. <laughs> because when we oppose the Lord and go the wrong direction in life, we're really, we're, we're really uh, uh, circumventing what's good for ourselves. So, so in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to knowledge, of acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Fear of the adversary. Um, yes, um, let, me, let me just further add there that uh, in, in chapter 4, 1 through 5, Paul gives Timothy some very forthright instructions how to address those who turn away from the truth and a godly lifestyle and follow the lust of the flesh. You see, to, be, to fear adversity is to be afraid to address such people and such issues. Um, the fear to, uh, to uh, being afraid to address unsound doctrine, afraid to address popular ideas and trends that ultimately lead the church to apostasy. Yeah, that's real. Well, speaking to Timothy as a spiritual leader, as an elder, as a bishop, Paul reminds him that God has not given us or him the spirit of fear, 
but has given him three things, three spiritual qualities that will make him an effective spiritual leader, an effective minister of the gospel. And these three spiritual qualities will enable us to overcome the spirit of timidity that will stimulate fear in us. I'm going to keep my word. I'm, I'm only halfway through this, but it's 12 o'clock. And uh, I'm afraid of what you're going to say and what you, how you're going to feel if I keep preaching. <laughs> so I'm, I'm shutting it down. <laughs> and I want to tell you that I, I, I really don't know. <laughs> I, I really don't know how to close this service. So I'm going to call Nate back up. And if you have any corrections to make to my message and anything further to add, please do so and uh, dismiss us with prayer. <laughs>